0: Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband, Bob. In this fourth podcast, I'll be reading Genesis chapter 2 from the Common English Bible. We've chosen this English translation because it is one of the few English Bibles that accurately translates the Hebrew words ha-adam, ish, and isha, respectively, as human being, man, and woman, throughout this passage. The chapter begins by telling us that God rested on the seventh day, after he had completed all the work of creation. It then describes in more detail God's creation of the heavens and the earth, plants, animals, and human beings. So starting at Genesis 2 verse 1, The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done, And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work of creation. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. On the day the Lord God made the earth and sky, before any wild plants appeared on the earth, and before any field crops grew, because the Lord God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth, and there was still no human being to farm the fertile land, though a stream rose from the earth and watered all of the fertile land. The Lord God formed the human from the top soil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils. The human came to life. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and put there the human he had formed. In the fertile land, the Lord God grew every beautiful tree with edible fruit, and also he grew the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows from Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides into four headwaters. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It flows around the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. That land's gold is pure, and the land also has sweet-smelling resins and gemstones. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It flows around the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, flowing east of Assyria, and the name of the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the human, Eat your fill from all the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat from it, you will die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. The human gave each living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But a perfect helper for him was nowhere to be found. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, This one finally is bone from my bones, and flesh from my flesh. She will be called a woman, because from a man she was taken. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they were not embarrassed. Though the common English Bible and many other English translations, explain that Isha was formed from the rib of ha-adam in Genesis 2.21, the word for rib can also be translated simply as side. The common English Bible's use of the words human being is an accurate reflection of the Hebrew ha-adam used throughout the passage. The gender-specific terms ish and ishah are not used until Genesis 2.23. This shift in language occurs only after the first human is put into a deep sleep by God and divided into two separate sexually compatible persons, the male Ish and the female Isha. In the Greek Septuagint, Genesis 2.23 is also the first occurrence of the gender-specific term andros for man or husband and gune for woman or wife. Earlier in the Greek Septuagint in Genesis 2.16, ha-adam is written as a proper name, Adam. This does not, however, accurately reflect the Hebrew, which continues simply to use the word ha-adam, meaning the human being, until Genesis 2.23. Unlike the common English Bible, many English translations, such as the English Standard Version, the King James Version, and the New American Standard Bible, and others, use the androcentric term man throughout the chapter. This practice is man-centered and does not accurately reflect what the text says in its oldest available languages. In addition to this translation error, biblical commentary on this passage from the 4th and 16th centuries AD, written by men like St. Augustine and John Calvin, create the false impression that God created one sex, men, to rule over the other, women. To explain how and why this error in commentary came about, and how it continues to influence the Church today, we'd like to read from Chapter 2 of our Equality Workbook, Freedom in Christ from the Oppression of Patriarchy.
1: In the second chapter of the Genesis story we learn more about the creation of the first man and the first woman. After seeing every different type of animal, the first human being did not see anyone like himself. He felt alone. Seeing this, God caused him to fall into a deep sleep. From the side of the first human being, God created the first woman. The first human being was no longer alone. They were now two separate and distinct persons, male and female. When the man saw the woman, he was overjoyed. Here was someone he could relate to on equal terms. He said, "This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman Isha, because she was taken out of a man ish and that's a quote from genesis two twenty three Tragically, patriarchal theologians have inferred from this passage that God intended men." rule over women. One of these theologians was 4th century Roman bishop Augustine of Hippo. Augustine believed that the writings of an influential Greek philosopher named Plato could help him better understand the Bible. Plato taught that all of life should be organized into hierarchical categories. Greater things should rule over lesser things. Plato believed that the spirit was greater than the flesh. He also believed that men were superior to women. When Augustine saw the first woman referred to as flesh, he immediately assumed that the first man must represent the spirit. He therefore concluded that just as the spirit must rule over the flesh or the body, so too must men rule over women. Augustine wrote in one of his commentaries, Flesh, then, is put for a woman in the same manner that spirit is sometimes put for husband. Wherefore, because the one rules, the other is ruled. The one ought to command, the other to serve. For where the flesh commands and the spirit serves, the house is turned the wrong way. What can be worse than a house where the woman has the mastery over the man? But that house is rightly ordered, where the man commands and the woman obeys. The Bible passage we have just looked at, Genesis 2.23, does not say that a husband represents the spirit. It does not say that women represent the flesh. It also does not say that men must rule over women. Augustine simply saw something in the text that he already believed to be true, something that wasn't really there. When the first man saw the first woman, he was simply pleased that he now had a suitable companion with whom he could share his life, someone that was made from his own flesh and bone. The phrase suitable companion is used to describe the first woman in today's English version of the Good News Bible in Genesis 2.18. Older English translations, such as the King James Version, say that the first woman was a help that was meet, appropriate or suitable, for the first man. Once again, patriarchal commentators infer from this kind of language that God made the woman to be a subordinate assistant to the man. For example, one of the Protestant reformers of the 16th century, John Calvin, said that woman was made to be a faithful assistant to the man. He also explained, on this condition is the woman assigned as a help to the man that he may fill the place of her head and leader. This notion that man was created to be the leader of woman is not present in the Bible's creation account. Rather, like Augustine, John Calvin identifies the ancient Greek philosophy of Plato as the source of his theological interpretation. As nature itself taught Plato, is the phrase used by Calvin to reference the source of his hierarchical interpretation of the creation story. Unfortunately, complementarian theologians today continue to use the commentary work of St. Augustine and John Calvin as a source of inspiration for their own patriarchal views. In contrast to the patriarchal interpretation projected onto the Bible by theologians such as Augustine and Calvin, the Bible itself in its original language of Hebrew, paints a very different picture of the first woman. In Genesis 2.18, the woman is referred to as the man's Ezer, meaning help. This same word is used repeatedly to refer to God as the help of humanity. In other words, there are no connotations of subordination present in this language. Verses portraying God as the easer of human beings include the following. My father's God was my helper, Ezer; He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. That's Exodus 18.4. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. O be his help, Ezer, against his foes. That's Deuteronomy 33.7. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you, Ezer, and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, Destroy them. So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell secure in a land of grain and new wine, where the heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, Israel, Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is your shield and helper, Easer, and your glorious sword. That's Deuteronomy 33, 26 through 29. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help, Easer, and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. That's Psalm 33, verses 20 and 21. In all of these passages and more, God is depicted as the help of human beings, and there is no connotation whatsoever of God being our subordinate assistant. Some patriarchal theologians acknowledge that Ezer, when used of God, does not suggest subordination. They argue, however, that Ezer in human relationships indicates subordination and dependence. An early example of this thinking can be found in the commentary work of St. Augustine. He believed that the term "ezer" was an indication of the subordinate and dependent status of women. He attributed this alleged status to what he viewed as a woman's inherent weakness. Does easer truly indicate weakness, dependence, and subordination in the context of human relationships? This patriarchal assumption can be tested by looking at a number of Bible passages. In Nahum 3, verses 8 and 9, we read the following. Are you better than Thebes, that sat by the Nile, with water around her? Her rampart a sea, water her wall? Ethiopia was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Put and the Libyans were her helpers. And the Hebrew word for helpers is Ezra, the feminine form of Ezer. In this passage, God is warning Nineveh of impending judgment. He tells the Ninevites not to be overly confident in their strength. He reminds them that Thebes fell, even though it relied on the strength of its many allies. It was Thebes that was dependent upon its helpers, who were in a position of strength without limit. Those who offered this strong assistance are referred to as helpers. This is the same language that is used to describe Eve, and it does not indicate subordination, weakness, or dependence. We find a similar use of the word Ezer in human relationships in the following passage from the book of Isaiah. Alas for those who go down to Egypt for help, Ezra, the feminine form of Ezer, and who rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel, or consult the Lord. And that's Isaiah 31, verse 1. In the context of this passage, Israel's facing imminent invasion by the Assyrian Empire. They look to Egypt for military help. Egypt was in a stronger position to resist Assyria, and Egypt was in no way subordinate to Israel at the time. Though Egyptian chariots were many, and their horsemen very strong, they would not prevail against the Assyrians. Israel's only hope was to return to God from their idolatry and the murderous practices associated with it. Though patriarchal theology has concluded that women were created to be weak, dependent subordinates to men, the language found in the book of Genesis paints a very different picture. Eve was created to be Adam's easier a strong help a suitable companion it is also important to recognize what Eve was created to help Adam with in addition to being a suitable companion she was created to help him by sharing dominion over all the earth in other words she was created to rule with him over God's creation we find that language in Genesis 1 26-28 this is not the language of subordination Eve was created to help Adam by ruling at his side. In fact, the only language of subordination found in the creation story occurs immediately after both Adam and Eve choose to disobey God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This event and its tragic repercussions will be the subject of our next podcast episode.